You're listening to Jet Nation Radio, the official podcast of JetNation.com, the largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here are your hosts, Glenn Naughton and Alex Barallo. Good evening, Jets fans. Thanks so much for tuning in tonight. Uh, apologies for those of you who checked us out last night and uh, weren't able to do a full show, had some technical difficulties, which will hopefully not, uh, not be a recurring thing this evening. We will be joined again by Manish Mehta, who was uh, scheduled to join us last night. Spoke to Manish after things went south yesterday. He said he'd be happy to call in tonight. So we're going to cover mostly, uh, mostly combine and free agency talk because it's almost time for, uh, for the wheels to start rolling on a, on a true offseason for Joe Douglas. His first shot as the, uh, the, you know, in the, uh, the man at the helm of the whole operation who will have an opportunity to go out and improve this roster dramatically because, let's face it, um, it you know, it, it all starts with this O-line, and really it couldn't get any worse. So even just a few upgrades on that O-line should mean some dramatic improvement. And we'll, talk, we'll throw some names around with Manish Mehta when he comes on. As we know, or, you know, if you've been paying attention, the rumors have been floating around that the Jets are going to try to throw a bunch of money at Joe Thune, and they're going to throw a bunch of money at Jack Conklin. There are other names out there. You know, do you, do, do you try to bring Lewis back? Do you try to bring Beecham back? We've talked about both those guys on this show. My personal opinion, uh, and I'm just guessing here, is that Kelvin Beecham would rather go elsewhere, start at left tackle on a team that's maybe more competitive, more ready to win than the Jets are. I don't think Kelvin Beecham was a huge fan of the way the offense was run under Adam Gase. That has nothing to do with my feelings about Adam Gase. It's based more on Beecham tweeting out during the, the Super Bowl that it must be nice to try to run the ball with a lead or something along those lines. So, we, you know, we've been over it. We've discussed that. There's Listen, there are four or five big tackles in this class. Depending on, you know, depending on which way the wind blows, these things seem to change so so rapidly. I know I mentioned a few just a few weeks ago, Todd McShay. He had he had the the Browns taking a tackle at ten. Josh Jones, they had him, had him going at ten. Now he's got him going at twenty. But I, you know, we've, I've talked about this before. I think if Jones, if the Jets feel like he's worth the top fifteen pick, then he's worth the eleventh pick. If you're looking for a tackle and the other big guys are gone, starting to see more of these mocks now where all the tackles are gone in the top ten which really would be insane. So I, I just I can't see it happening that way, given the fact that you've got, you know, as I've said before, the Chargers are parting ways with Phillip Rivers. They now need a quarterback. You've got you've got Abair out of out of Oregon. You've got Tua. Of course you've got uh at number one, the Cincinnati the Cincinnati Bengals are absolutely going quarterback. Why in the world would they, you know, Joe Burrow is not going to fall past one. Does Justin Herbert go to the Dolphins? 
that's a possibility. I think if two was on the board, they go there. But, you know, now, now there are rumors. And, and again, the rumors are going to fly. They're going to float. Some of them are going to be legit. Some of them won't. But now there's talk that the Redskins legitimately want a quarterback. New regime, new head coach. Does two will go number two and force the Dolphins to take Justin Herbert out of Oregon? There, there, there are so many, you know, a, a few a few weeks ago or a couple months ago, everyone told me I was out of my mind to think that Jerry Judy might fall to 11. And now I think the last four or five mock drafts I've seen, he's going to 13, 14. Does that mean, you know, look, they're mocks. They're people guessing. Who knows? I've made the point before. And I, yeah, I'm guilty of it, too. I use the term. This guy's falling up. You know, this guy's falling down draft boards. This guy's climbing draft boards. We don't know what the hell they're doing. I don't have. I don't have access to anybody's draft board. Mel Kuyper's not looking at anybody's draft board. And, you know, when we say guys falling, falling or rising, what that means is they've done something to get the attention of more prognosticators and get their name out there in the media a little bit more. And and look, sometimes it's legit. Sometimes sometimes there's a guy who's getting no press, who's getting no attention for the months leading up to the draft. And then all of a sudden he surges with, you know, a good pro day, good combine. Look, Makai Becton, a couple months ago, or what, six, eight weeks ago, whatever it was, I said, oh, this guy might enter the conversation to be the 11th pick. A week later, Daniel Jeremiah's got him going four overall. When just a few days earlier, he was universally, everybody said, oh, Big guy, but uh, he's too raw. He's a second rounder. He's a second round pick. Now everybody, everybody's going, got him going in the top ten, and he probably will go in the top ten. So sometimes this talk is, you know, sometimes it's a bunch of hot air, but there are times when it's legit when guys really are rising up draft boards. Um, you know, so like I said, we all say it from time to time. We don't, we don't know what the hell is happening in the war room and in, in the draft room what the Jets draft board looks like. Nobody knows that right now. It's probably probably a handful of human beings on the planet that know what their draft board looks like right now. Jets are targeting, you know, Henry Ruggs. Listen, if they can find a way to fix the O-line before free, before the draft starts and you want to, and you can get Robbie Anderson re-signed and pair him with Henry Ruggs on the other side, I I would have no issue with that. You, I mean, you sure as hell better, find, you know, whether it's going to be Jason Peters on a one or two year deal to hold things down while you either draft a left tackle in round two or three to work with for a year, or you plan on going left tackle in round one next year, I could live with that. Because listen, we've talked. This team has this team has too many needs to go into this and say, all right, uh, you know, they're going to fill the the sixteen or seventeen gaping holes on this roster with one draft and one round of free agency. Because as much as we sit here and you know we all do it. We sit down, we do our mock draft, we're going to take this guy this round, taking this guy here, and they're, and they're all going to be starters. The first, uh, the first five guys are all going to be day one starters, and the other guys will be starting by next year. It's just not, real, it's not realistic. They'll draft seven, eight guys, depending on draft, trades, and moving up, moving down. And half of them will be, we hope, we don't want, you know, hopefully the days of Idzik and McCagnan are behind us. And we, you know, we hopefully they've got a GM now, where you know if he takes eight guys, four of them are NFL quality players. Hell, three would be nice. But we, you know, we we can't sit and look and look at every 
every hole on the roster and assume it's going to be filled in one off season. Now that doesn't mean that they can improve enough to be a much better football team. Because listen, you know, we've said it before this, and this is what I want to, you know, I'll, I'll mention this to Manish because I want to see if I'm, if I'm way off base here, but you just look at the way this off season is shaping up. I mean, mainly the draft, you look at this draft and it, it really on paper couldn't be any better for the Jets. Their two biggest needs, I mean, they finally, they finally, finally, finally have the quarterback. And now it's about the O-line and receivers. And you've got some pretty damn good O-linemen in free agency. Let's say you add one of those. Worst case scenario, Jets only land one. I mean, worst case is none. But let's say the Jets offer Thudy a bunch of money. They, they offer Conklin a bunch of money. They try to get McGovern to play center. Let's say they throw money at a bunch of guys. Only one guy takes the bait. Let's say Conklin signs to play right tackle. Maybe you bring Alex Lewis back, let him play left guard. With that 11th pick, a tackle falls to you. You draft, you know, let's say it's uh, Andrew Thomas. Tyler Biadish out of Wisconsin, who we've talked about a lot, we like. He seems to be a guy who, you know, you can get with one of those third-round picks, perhaps. Even your second, if you have to. And then you need a right guard. Is there someone on the roster they think can do it? There, and there, there are some guys in this class that a lot of people feel could play in this league and, you know, can eventually become starters. Do you, do you take a, a Ben Bredesen out of Michigan and maybe let Jonathan Harrison play right guard for, you know, as long as he has to until they feel like Bredesen's ready to step in? Receivers, how many times can we talk about this? What is it, 27 was the number I threw out the other day, and I think that's what uh, Daniel Jeremiah is saying. He's got 27 starting grades or 27 receivers worth taking in the first three rounds with a premium pick. 27 guys. Does Joe Douglas take advantage of that? Does he say, look, I need a receiver, but but I'm going to draft three of them, especially if Robbie isn't retained. If Robbie's retained, I think they take two. But if you don't re-sign Robbie Anderson, I say take one, at least one receiver with your first three picks, another one with, you know, out of your next two or three, and definitely take one in round with one of your – you've got two sixth-rounders now. I would have no issue with three receivers. There are so many good ones in this class. But the bottom line here is that the Jets are going to be – in a great position. They need O-line. They need wide receivers. And there's lots of it in this class. Even if, even if you have to go Josh Jones at 11. Some people would say it's a reach. I look at it and say, the guy's played a million snaps in a pass-heavy offense. He's probably got more reps as a pass blocker than anyone else in the class. Go ahead and go for it. Josh Jones starting left tackle. I can live with that. Absolutely. And, you know, I've talked about this. People say, oh, that's a reach. That's a reach. I would only take Josh Jones if we trade down to 17. Yeah, and then when you trade down to 17 and you draft Josh Jones, you're smiling and saying, We've just, we just drafted our left tackle for the next 10 years. So what the hell is wrong with taking him at 11? 
if you feel like he's your left tackle for the next decade at 18, why isn't he your left tackle for the next decade at 11? Well, because Mel Kuyper's big board says blah, 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 blah. So what? If the guy is good enough to be a starter for the next 10 years, you take him. And if the Jets are willing to take this guy, there's no doubt somebody's fallen to them at 11 to be the left tackle. If C.D. Lamb is on the board and Jerry Judy are on the board, again, I've said it a million times, supply and demand. 27 receivers were taken in the top three rounds. Sure as hell don't have 27 tackles worth taking in the top three rounds. So supply and demand, take a tackle early, get some receivers late, build the interior, and see, see what you can get in free agency. There's going to be some quality players out there. Like I said, I think Beecham walks. Jason Peters is 38 years old, but now they're saying the Eagles are going to let him explore the market a little bit. Trent Williams. Trent Williams, another guy. The Redskins have given him permission to seek a trade. I'll tell you what, for a seventh rounder, maybe. But a guy with that many injuries, he's not a young guy. He's had a lot of serious injuries. Just sat out for a year. I'm not, I'm not so sure I'd give up more than a late, you know, a day three pick. We will be joined shortly here by Manish Mehta before he comes on. I wanted to take our mile social. If you're running your own business and you need somebody to step in and manage all of your social media platforms for your company, Check out milesocial.com, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, whatever you got. Mile Social will run it for you. That's milesocial.com, M-I-L-E social.com. Check them out online today. Also going to talk a little bit about uh, on the defensive side of the ball. The Jets are going to have some options there. Obviously, people, you know, with a draft this deep in key positions, fans want to see Joe Douglas go out and try to add some picks. Who do you have as a trade chip? The first guy that comes down, comes to mind for me is Avery Williamson. He's a guy that if you part ways with him, it's you're going to save four or five million on the cap. But at the same time, I also love the idea of watching Williamson and C.J. Mosley play side by side. That was sort of you know I was something fans were fired up for this season that just never happened because of the injuries. But Byron Jones, he's going to get to test the market. You know, listen. The Jets just got burned big time on the Tremaine Johnson deal. Do you go out then and spend a ton of money on Byron Jones? Because Tremaine Johnson's going to be gone. They're going to cut. That's already, I mean, it's, the rumor is out there they're going to cut him. But, I mean, if that wasn't evident by week six of this year, if not, you know. Listen, uh, we came into this year, a lot of people overly optimistic, hoping that reuniting Tremaine Johnson with Greg Williams would rejuvenate him a little bit. Obviously, that didn't happen. So, Tremaine Johnson was terrible. And the Jets are going to cut ties. And the good news, as reported by Rich Samir, I don't remember if we discussed it or not, that once the new CBA is signed, which I believe they're expecting to happen in the coming days, once that CBA is signed, the Jets will be able to defer some of the cap hit from Tremaine Johnson to next year. So rather than take on a huge $12 million hit this year, the cap hit this year is $4 million, then they'll get hit with another $8 million next year. So what that means is another eight million to spend this season, this off season. And once you know, once some of these bigger deals start coming off the books, as we said, Brian, Daryl Roberts, you know, these moves, the, the cap space is going to start, is going to increase in a hurry, and the Jets are going to have some options. They'll be able to go after a Byron Jones. You know, Yannick Ngakwe looks like he's going to, he's going to get tagged in Jacksonville. 
Jadavion Clowney, honestly, for my money, for what he's going to command, the production just hasn't been there. I'm not saying he's not a good player. I'm just saying that for the the amount of money he's going to want, I would uh, I, I, I would take a pass. I wouldn't I, I wouldn't get involved in that. The Jets might, hopefully not. But you know, again, they do need some pass rushers or a pass rusher other than Jamal Adams. Who, who, by the way, uh, talk about this real quick. Uh, not a big fan of the the negotiating through Twitter. Um, not not that there's been anything ugly going back and forth, but a lot of tweets about Jam- from Jamal Adams about I'm I'm worth this. I want that. Not leaving any money on the table. Like we get it. We get it. You're a modern day athlete, and you want top dollar, and that's fine. You go for it. Go get your money. Have your agent go in there. But really, like, do we need the like the daily tweet on your feelings on your contract. We get it. You're a great player, all pro player, probably going to go to, you know, go definitely going to go to many more pro bowls and get the, you know, all a few more all pro nods. I don't think anybody doubts that for one second, but just the, uh, the, the public negotiations, you know, just keep it, you know, tell your agent to go to work, and let that let that be the end of it. The Jets are well aware of the fact that Jamal Adams, and this is why Joe Douglas has said he wants to make him bet for life. Makes all the sense in the world. But uh, the, the daily tweets, I, I don't know that that's necessary. I really don't. But uh, we are joined now. We're going to bring on Manish Mehta of the New York Daily News. Manish, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Glenn. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing good, Manish. Myself, like many Jets fans at the moment, uh, pretty excited that free agency is is finally, you know, just around the corner. And you know, what would the off season be without the media linking every single player on the market to the Jets? Um, <laughs> because the Jets, the Jets always have needs, and the Jets oddly seem to always have money, despite the fact they don't spend it all that well. But um, so, so Manish, you know the rumors. We all know the big names that are floating around, the Jack Conklins, the Joe Dooney, the Byron Jones. Um, I, I wanted to get your take on these guys and, and you know, are the Jets really going to go hard and heavy? Are they going to give Jack Conklin $18, 19000000 million a year? Or are they going to look and say, listen, we, we think Chuma Adoga can develop into a starter. We'd rather spend that $16, 17000000 million elsewhere. I think uh... – you know, that's a complicated question. Uh, I personally, based on what people in Indianapolis told me last week, would not spend, you know, 16 to $18 million a year for Jack Conklin. Not because I don't think Conklin would be an upgrade, because I, I believe he clearly is an upgrade over Brandon Chell and Chuma Indoga. Uh, the question, however, becomes how good of a player is Jack Conklin? And I think Jet fans who've been paying close attention over the last month or so know that, you know, Conklin started his career off very well. He was an all-pro as a rookie. You can't really get much better than that. But then uh, his play, his quality of play, steadily slipped. Uh, there was a season a couple years ago in which he was banged up half the year. Uh, and even this past year, I talked to somebody on another team who told me that he – when he evaluated the Titans and the offensive line specifically, he only thought that Conklin had like four or five good games. Now, I, you know, I can't speak to the veracity of that because I didn't study Jack Conklin, to be honest with you, game in and week in and week out. 
so I don't know, but that's just one evaluator's perspective. I think he's a very good player, for sure. I think he falls short of the Pro Bowl level, but uh, he's certainly a guy who can make the offensive line better. The question becomes, how much of an investment are you going to make? And I kind of look back to last season when uh, the Giants invested a lot of money in Nate Solder. I know that Nate Solder is an older player. Conklin is uh, you know, technically in his prime and has a, you know, a lot of time left in his NFL career, assuming he stays healthy. However, uh, I don't know if the money is going to be justified, and I wonder if the Jets sign Conklin or, or some other team signs Conklin, whether that team was going to have some buyer's remorse a year from now, much like the Jets have, I mean, the Giants have uh, when it comes to Nate Solder. They clearly uh, you know, did not make the right decision. I think that money could be spent elsewhere. I think there's other options. You, know, you mentioned Joe Tooney. Uh, you know, that's another guy on the marquee. But, you know, I think a player to keep an eye on is Graham Glasgow, which I'm not sure many Jets fans even heard of, you know, two months ago or three months ago. He's a center and a guard. He's very versatile from Detroit, and the Lions are not going to bring him back. Uh, the Jets are interested in him, and I think that's real interest. And the other thing, Manish, uh, w- when you talk about Tooney, is that, that fear, because how many times have we seen O-linemen uh, leave Dante Scarnecchia in New England and go elsewhere and just not play up to that same level. And this is a young guy, again, prime of his career. So he's another player that people are speculating could try to, could try to seek 16, 17 million a year. Um, th- does that come in, does that play into the equation at all for you to, to think, you know, b- uh, buyer beware when you have a player leaving Bill Belichick's system and Dante Scarnecchia's system and going elsewhere? I think that's a fair concern, just generally speaking, and that's obviously a question that I raised to, with people around the league. But they actually do think that Tooney's a good player, like a solid, legit player. And, yes, having Dante Skarnecchia as your position coach certainly helps. Having Tom Brady get rid of the ball quickly certainly helps. But I think uh, in a vacuum, I do think that Tooney is a good player. Now, whether he's worth $16, $17 million, uh, I'll go back to Conklin. I, I don't know if these guys are actually worth it, but the, it's supply and demand and – Glenn, you've been around long enough to know that uh, free agents by nature, uh, if they're quote-unquote at the top of the list, they're going to get overpaid, probably going to get paid more than their actual worth. Uh, but that's what you got to do if you have a glaring need, and clearly the Jets have several glaring needs along the offensive line now. They've been telling teams that they're going to sign two guys in free agency, uh, and then we'll see if they draft uh, at least one guy. They obviously will, but uh, I don't know if they'll draft you know two or three guys. But the plan going in, uh, before today at least, was to have uh, two guys sign the free agency, uh, take a stab in the first round, uh, and we can t- talk about that a little bit later because I think there's a very interesting dynamic at play if the four, the top four tackles are off the board in the first 10 picks uh, what does Joe Douglas do at 11 I think there's some options out there but you know for those people that think that they're going to get uh, Tristan Wirfs or Andrew Thomas or uh, Jedrick Wills or uh, Makai Becton uh, that uh, appeared to be a slam dunk about a month or so ago I think it's much more dubious right now yeah, I think, I mean, what those guys did at the Combine, you thought their stock couldn't get any higher, and they just absolutely, you know, blew it out of the water, and, and all of a sudden there's that talk again that all four of them could be gone, which would be a, a huge blow to the Jets. Um, what, what are your thoughts, real quick, Manish? Everyone talks about the top four. It seemed that after the Senior Bowl, a lot of people, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier that Todd McShay of ESPN had, had Josh Jones out of Houston going 10th overall to the Browns. 
people seem to have cooled on him a bit, but you're talking about a four-year starter who played at a pass-happy college, so he's got, you know, he might have more more reps as a pass blocker than anyone else in the class, and uh, and people were really high on him a few weeks ago, but as this tends to go, you know, this, this roller coaster and, and talking about these prospects, is he a guy you think would be in play at 11? I think he would be in play for the Jets. Uh, I don't know if he'll necessarily be in play at 11. Maybe he'd be in play at 13, 14, 15, 18, 19. Uh, that's just my way of saying uh, if those four guys are indeed off the board, uh, I know you know in a vacuum it seems like the Jets would lose out, and perhaps time will prove that they lost out if all four of those guys become exceptional players at the next level. However, you mentioned Josh Jones, and I, I'm with you. Like, this is a guy who's – been a four-year starter, a quality player. On the flip side, you've got a much younger player from USC, Austin Jackson, who I think is a first-round player, but not at the you know probably doesn't warrant the number 11 pick. But you'd have to you, you could trade down in theory uh, and be in position to get him. And then there's this kid from Boise State, Ezra Cleveland, who just kind of you know outside of Tristan Wirfs, this guy lit up the yeah, combine, combine, and you've got to be careful. Right. You do have to be careful about that. However, he was Mm -hmm. very good on tape. And people who actually, you know, scouts from that region who actually studied him uh, think he's a a really good prospect. And that to me means that, you know, is that a day one or a day two pick? I guess a lot of people uh, going into this process a month or so ago thought he was destined to be a day two pick. But he could sneak into the first round. And if if he's a player that Joe Douglas covets, that's another – Avenue. If those four guys that we talked about earlier are off the table, if the Jets can find a trade partner to move down into the first round, uh, Cleveland's even a guy that I, Ezra Cleveland, that is, is a guy that might be a potential target because I do believe if he does not uh, get drafted on day one, Cleveland's the kind of player who you're going to hear a lot of buzz about the morning of day two before uh, the first pick in the second round begins. I think you're going to hear about teams jockeying for position to move up uh, early in the second round to get a guy like him if he's still on the board. Uh, He's a player who's extremely athletic, uh, in theory would be better in a zone-blocking scheme, uh, and that isn't Adam Gase's scheme, but I think the Jets would frankly be foolish if they – didn't uh, draft a high-quality offensive lineman because he didn't fit Adam Gase's scheme when you don't even know how long Adam Gase is going to be your head coach. So uh, I think a guy like Jones, Jackson, and Cleveland are all viable options if the Jets can trade down. The big question then becomes who would want to trade up for a player to get to 11? Would somebody want uh, the receiver, Jerry Judy? uh, Or perhaps most importantly is a guy like Justin Herbert falling out of the top 10 or still available, I should say, uh, after the top 10. And is there a quarterback needy team that really covets a player like him or even a Jordan Love, a quarterback uh, at that 11 spot? Because I think that is probably your best bet, a team trading up to 11 who wants a quarterback. And if, if uh, again, Joe Douglas can pick up a day two, uh, an extra day two pick and still get an offensive lineman in the first round, I think that's, you know, I think that's a win, at least on paper. Yeah, and and you mentioned these possibilities, Manish. You know, with with Ezra Cleveland, and you know, we talked about Josh Jones. Is it is it overly optimistic to say that despite the fact that this team is so it has, has so many needs, especially along the offensive line, that, that despite that, despite all the holes, that Joe Douglas really is in a sense in the driver's seat because he's got his franchise quarterback, and the draft, at least on paper, you know, of course we have to wait a few years to see how this pans out. But at least on paper, 
the two biggest areas areas of need for Joe Douglas, uh, offensive line and receiver, there seems to be enough. I mean, more than enough players in these spots for him to land himself a couple of starters. Where in years past, it always seems that the the, the draft's strongest areas uh, are are the are the Jets. You know, the it's the last thing they need. Whereas in this case, there are you know five, six, seven O linemen who you can get who might be able, or sorry, offensive tackles uh, who might be able to start for you. And I mentioned at the top of the show, Daniel Jeremiah saying he's got 27 receivers uh, with with grades that placed him in the first three rounds, which is absolutely insane. Uh, yeah, I think that's a good point that you raised because in recent years, at least, it always seemed like uh, the best players were defensive linemen, the interior defensive linemen. Jets seemed to have a lot of those in the last several years. Uh, and and they had, sometimes they drafted into their strength. And, you know, there's obviously a, there's value in that as well, but uh, at least, as you said, on paper, uh, some of these deficient areas like wide receiver and offensive line are deep this year in the draft, so that does benefit uh, Joe Douglas theoretically, but uh, again, you you do have to hit on your picks. It's one thing to say, you know, we're we're 27 wide receivers deep, and there's another to, you know, identify the guys that will ultimately be productive players at the next level, and that's now, that's why Joe Douglas is one of the top five paid GMs in the National Football League. He's 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 paid to make the right decisions, and and you know we don't know if he can make the right decisions. Uh, he hasn't been in a position where he's had a final say. And in Philadelphia, to be quite honest with you, they were less than impressive drafts. However, he didn't have the final say. So there's a lot of gray area when you look at some of the swings and misses that the Eagles have had in the past few years. Uh, you know, we don't definitively know whether that was a Joe Douglas pick, a Howie Roseman pick, if there's others involved as well. But, uh, you know, this is going to be his first opportunity to have the, the you know, final say, make the final call. And he does have a lot of control and a lot of opportunity, uh, not only with these draft picks, but with uh, a fair amount of money, uh, at least from, from a cap space perspective. You know, ownership obviously has to sign off on the cash. But there is a good opportunity for Joe Douglas to – to patch some holes uh, over the next couple weeks and then to find uh, a few foundation pieces uh, when the draft rolls around in a, in a month or, or two months, I guess. And so just two more quick questions for you, Manish. And again, this is, this is the ball will be in Joe Douglas's court. Um, Robbie Anderson, some rumors the Jets are working to retain him. Uh, one thing, and, and I acknowledge, I probably had a, a little bit of a blind spot when it came to Robbie because I'm a huge Robbie fan. And I've been saying all along, I thought he would get somewhere in the neighborhood of 13 million, if not more. But of course, this this market is so flooded again with, as we said on paper, with the number of receivers in this class that it really could force Robbie to take a little bit less than he was hoping. Um, maybe maybe take 10, 11 million. But do you think there's a chance this gets done? And that kind of it, it makes sense on so many levels. It keeps the target Sam is familiar with. It's one less hole to fill in the draft. Uh, things of that nature. And the other guy, Kelvin Beecham, um, my gut is that he doesn't want to come back, um, but the Jets would probably not mind bringing back a veteran as a sort of insurance policy if things don't work out in the draft. Well, Robbie's interesting because nothing's really changed. Uh, Joe Douglas has said repeatedly since the season ended that uh, they want to bring Robbie back. The question, of course, is how much. They, They value him, but how much do they value him? So, you know, the notion that they're trying to bring him back is, you know, it's kind of status quo. They haven't changed their position. Uh, I've always believed that if he indeed did sign back with the Jets, 
that would tell you and reveal, frankly, that the market wasn't what he had hoped for. And part of that is because of the, the deep wide receiver class, because the free agency class, frankly, is very thin. It's the exact opposite. And we'll see what happens with Amari Cooper. But other than Amari Cooper, you're talking about a 31-year-old A.J. Green who's going to be available, and he might not even be available if the Bengals tag him. So it's an extremely thin free agency class for that position. However, that could be mitigated by the fact that it's so deep in the draft. And if he does, in fact, re-sign with the Jets, that will you know, be a clear indication that the market wasn't nearly as strong as he had hoped because of these guys coming out of college. Uh, Beecham, to me, is fascinating because I don't know where you stand on this, Glenn, but I thought he was pretty good. I, you know, I didn't think he was a, a star player by any stretch of the imagination, and obviously the group as a whole uh, was substandard. Uh, you know, that goes without saying. But I thought that Beecham played fairly well uh, you know, for the most part this season, uh, what will be interesting to me over the next week or so is what happens with Trent Williams, who has now been given permission to seek a trade. The Jets were interested and kind of looked into Trent Williams this off season when he made it clear he didn't want to play for the for the Redskins anymore. But the price was just way too steep. It was a first round pick, and if the price remains a first round pick, the Jets will not be involved in that because they're not giving up the number eleven pick, I believe, to to trade for Trent Williams and then pay Trent Williams a big contract. Uh, you know, he's a player who's going to be 32 years old this summer, an exceptional player, a Pro Bowl player without a doubt. But, uh, you know, a first-round pick is, is too steep. I would be very interested to find out how Joe Douglas feels about perhaps giving up his second-round pick to get Williams. Uh, I know there's, there's obviously benefit there because he could probably play at an exceptional level for two to three more years, and that would give you confidence that Sam Darnold's blindside is protected in the short term. But, uh, again, you're giving up premium draft capital, and you're going to have to pay him a lot of money. Uh, and then there's the short-term fix in Jason Peters. And Jason Peters is 38. You know, We're talking about Trent Williams turning 32 in a few months. Well, Jason Peters is 38 years old. He's a future Hall of Fame player, but he was nicked up last year. I'm not sure you can count on him. There's obviously a relationship, of course, between Jason Peters and Joe Douglas from their time together in Philly. So and those are two veteran players that could throw things for, you know, for a loop, if you will, with the Jets or, or other teams that need left tackles. Uh, to me, Beecham makes sense to bring back. It, it makes more sense, in my mind, to bring back Beecham uh, – and draft a right tackle. That's how I would handle it versus paying Jack Conklin a boatload of money to play right tackle, and then you're still probably going to have to pay a left tackle because I don't think there's going to be a left tackle that you feel confident in to start right away, unless it's Andrew Thomas from Georgia, and even then he's a rookie, so you do have to be mindful of that. Uh, I just think it makes a lot more sense having a veteran guy on the left side and then having a rookie uh, that you think can be a foundation piece for the next decade on the right side with the potential of moving over to the left side at some point in the near future. Yeah, that, Manish, actually is the scenario uh, when the offseason started that I pitched. I said, bring Beecham back, take a rookie in round one, let him play right tackle this year, transition him over. But uh, that it, it may be reading into things a little too much, but for me personally, only because Kelvin Beecham is sort of like the consummate professional team guy, quiet, goes about his business. Um, that tweet he shot out during the Super Bowl saying, you know, it must be nice to run the ball with under two minutes, run the ball with a lead or whatever it was, kind of a <laughs> glimpse that he wasn't thrilled with the way the Jets were running their offense. And let's face it, if you look at this left tackle market, Manish, you know, you mentioned Peters being 38, Williams, not a free agent, but he'd be, there's not a lot of names out there. Beecham can probably look at this and say, I can go to a team that's closer to winning, 
with a starting job versus staying here and maybe maybe have to battle a rookie um, or, or may, maybe playing a system I'm not very happy with. Let me find a, you know, if I have four or five offers, let me look at some of these head coaches and, and see how close these teams are to winning. I think Beecham may, if he does land back with the Jets, I don't think they're going to be his top choice. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. It, does, it, gets, it doesn't get discussed very often, but it, this is an extremely weak left tackle free agency class. Right. Now, he probably you know, might you be the best. Sprinkle. I think he is the best. You know, I mean, Peters obviously is the has the better resume, but right, right. Uh, he's also you know, he's older and, and kind of injury prone. Uh, that being said, Jason Peters, you, if you roll the dice with Jason Peters, it could pay off in spades or it could blow up in your face because again, he you know he he was nicked up last year. Uh, the the you know the idea of drafting a guy on the right side and moving to the left side is something that I typically subscribe to. Uh, it's also something that Joe Douglas subscribes to. He was in Philly last year when the Eagles traded up for Andre Dillard, played him on the right side for the most part, had Jason Peters on the left side. Now they're parting ways with Jason Peters, letting him you know, find another home in free agency and moving Dillard over from the right to the left side. I think that makes a lot of sense, and the Jets could really use a similar blueprint by bringing back Beecham for 2020, drafting a right tackle, and then uh, and then moving on from Beecham perhaps in, in 2021, and then you know, having that, that rookie that you had this year slide over to protect Arnold's blindside. Uh, but in terms of Beecham's options, uh, I, I think he should have options just because it's such a terrible left tackle market and and maybe that ends up being a handful, you know, three, four, five teams. Uh, you know, I, you know I, I, don't, I don't know exactly what teams uh, would be in the market for him. I just know that left tackles are in rare supply. And if he does have options and the money is equal and he has a better chance of winning, uh, you know, it's it's very difficult for the Jets to compete with that. And I think that just runs across the board, not just with Beecham. Uh, and I'm sure you've talked about this. The Jets typically have to overpay. Now, you're overpaying already signing a free agent. I think teams in general do that across the league. But if you're the Jets and you're competing with a team that has, you know, a better infrastructure, a better organization, and closer to winning, it makes it that much more difficult for you uh, to get a guy who has options. Now, guys who don't have options will sign with the Jets, without a doubt. But if there's a guy out there, a free agent out there, who has several suitors, uh, you know, you're not going to win the tie if you're the Jets. And the only way to break that tie is to overpay. And you saw that last year you know, with C.J. Mosley. Uh, you know, you kind of see that year in and year out. Sometimes it doesn't even work. Anthony Barr, you know, they they broke the bank for Anthony Barr and he, you know, he changed his mind. So it's going to be, you know, tough sledding. Uh, it's going to be a big challenge for Joe Douglas, but uh, you know, the organization is entrusting that uh, he's, the, he's the right guy to kind of set things back on the right course for this franchise. All right, Manish, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. We appreciate it as always. And uh, be interested to, to keep up with you and your uh, whatever updates. I mean, let's, let's face it. Like we said, free agency is coming. The draft is around the corner. Uh, you and the rest of the Jets beat are going to have a busy couple months, and um, we'll see how the, all this shakes out. Yeah, it should be fun. It's going to be uh, hectic, and you know, for, for the fans' sake, I hope uh, I hope these decision-makers on the Jets make the right call. All right, thanks a lot, Manish. We really appreciate it. All right, take care, Glenn. Take care. So that was Manish Mann of the New York Daily News. A little bit of insight, and uh, and I, I think, you know, as I said to Manish, I, I – I, had that same thought process early in the preseason or early in the off season, rather saying, bring Beecham back, draft a tackle, let him play on the right side for a year or two while you, while Beecham, you know, you let that young player transition. 
but uh, less and less thinking less and less that Beach would want to be back because let's face it, when he signed with the Jets, he didn't have a lot of suitors. He was coming off of a a terrible season, maybe his worst season with, <clears throat> pardon me, with Jacksonville coming off of an injury and uh, the Jets came knocking. This time around, not not a lot of options out there at left tackle. So if you're a team looking for one, um, and I, I think that you're absolutely going to make Kelvin Beachman an offer. If, uh, if for some reason the offers aren't there, maybe he comes back to the Jets. So, again, that's just, that's just one way things can play out. And it, it really is. Again, this offseason is, uh, is, is very unique because the needs are there, but the, uh, the players that you can address a lot of those needs with are also there. Again, on paper, that caveat. Um, so some interesting stuff there. But uh, look, looking a little in another spot, something we haven't really talked about much this offseason. Um, I've thought about it a couple times, didn't really, didn't really squeeze it in on the show. And then uh, saw his name pop up a couple days ago. I thought, oh, maybe we should address this. Um, but the Jets right now don't really know who their backup quarterback is going to be. And Trevor Simeon is now medically cleared. So do you bring Trevor Simeon back to be your, your second quarterback? I mean, you can't, really crit- you can't criticize the way the guy played last year. We play a game, a half a game, and just got absolutely murdered behind that offensive line. No. Miles Garrett breaks his ankle on a dirty hit because that's kind of what Miles Garrett does, and uh, and then Simeon gone. That's it, out for the rest of the year on a dirty hit. So uh, do you bring him back? I I don't see why not. Honestly, I mean, we we know we, we say it all the time. Look around the league, backup quarterback situations are not good. If you can get a guy who's got you know a, a couple seasons worth of starts under his belt. And he has been in the league a few years, won some games. I think he's got a winning record, if I'm not mistaken. I don't have his numbers in front of me. But, you know, he's a guy, he's basically, he's done enough that you can look at him and say, all right, he's a guy that can hold the fort for a few games if we need him to. Because I can't see the Jets, even if it's a late rounder, I can't see them using a late rounder on a quarterback. But, um, you know, we'll have, we'll have to see, obviously, how free agency shakes out. I think the, as I said, as I said with Manish, if they, if Robbie is re-signed, you know the other the other positive there is that it, it gives it's almost like getting that extra pick because without Robbie you're you you got to take two three receivers you got to take at least two and like I said I would take three if I was the Jets if if all I had was Robbie and Crowder and the and the rest of the guys they have right now I would and and the depth at the at the position I would take advantage of of being having an opportunity to get you know starting players that late in the draft and I would absolutely go for it and you know. <laughs> As we just discussed a minute ago, you got having the picks doesn't matter. You know, as I said earlier, it, it, we hope we hope Joe Douglas is a guy who can hit on half of them because the Jets haven't had that in a long time, a very long time. Is Joe Douglas the guy? If he is, and he and, and you draft a few receivers, maybe maybe two of them work out. Maybe you get two starters. When was the last time the Jets took two receivers in, a, in the same class? They turned out to be starting NFL receivers. I'm not even sure they've done that in my lifetime. Honestly. I'm going to look that up later. But um, two weeks, what is it? I think I think we're 10, 11 days away from being able to sign players. Eight days away from the, the tampering period. And, you know, the Conklin thing. Earlier in the week, the rumor, oh, Conklin plans on signing with Jets. That's all that stuff to me. I, uh, 
I think that's all agent manufactured. And I tweeted out that night, like, do people believe that this is a real thing? Or is this just the agent drumming up a story? Because if you're, if you're the agent, you can say, all right, well, we're going to, you're the top tackle on the market. You're 26. Uh, we're going to put out a story saying you've already decided where you're going. So the teams that were hoping to sign you, you know, when that tampering period starts, they're, they're going to come banging down the door and say, wait, 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 wait. Before you sign with the Jets, this is how much we'll give you. You know, maybe, maybe you were only going to offer him 15. And then that report comes out and says Conklin's going to sign with the Jets, and you believe it. And you think, oh, the Jets are probably giving him 15 or 16. Let's offer him 19. We got we to gotta beat that offer by a couple million. So I don't I, – I, I saw that. And I got excited for about a split second. I said, wait a minute. This is too damn early. You know, even, even – you know, the, it's put out in a way where there's no tampering issues because – you feed the story to the reporter and you tell the reporter, look, just say that uh, Jax, you know, has told a friend or somebody, not a team, not an agent, not a not a, a GM. Just Jack has said to somebody that he plans on signing with the Jets. And then you put that out there and you hope that it drives up the price. Um, as I've mentioned, Chuma Doga, the problem there is even if the Jets want to see if he's ready to start next year, they got to Jack Conklin isn't sitting around waiting. They have to make that decision when the off season, when the, when the free agency period starts, start signing guys, uh, start upgrading your roster. You know, you don't, you don't sit and wait and, and listen, what, what's the worst thing that happens? You sign Conklin and Adoga looks good. And now you have some depth. Maybe you have a trade chip, but you're certainly not going to sit on your hands, not signing players, you're not going to say, let's not get any corners because we got to get another look at Bless Austin in a, in a couple months. We got some OTAs right before the draft. We'll take a look at him then, and then we'll decide if we need a corner. Too late by that point. So they got to jump on these guys early and often. And uh, so, so what was it? Two guys they're hoping to sign. Apparently, this is what Manish was saying that he was told in Indy the Jets are having, you know, ha- having their mind that they're going to sign two guys. Graham Glasgow. Uh, been reading about him a little bit. Haven't watched anything on him because uh, I don't. I, just, I guess I'm more focused on the uh, on McGovern in the middle. I kind of don't want Glasgow. Maybe I'm maybe I'm too high on McGovern, but um, I think he's, I think he's a better option. I think he can play center, probably play guard if you needed him to, and. Uh, I think he's the better player, but we'll see. We'll see what the Jets think. They've got uh, what eight, nine days till they can start making offers, and and we know how that goes too. Even though it's even though guys can't sign, generally speaking, within hours of the tampering period, you start getting the leaks, the stories. This guy's agreed to sign here. This guy's agreed to sign there. Nobody signs because you can't sign, but you can agree to sign. So and guys can back out. Anthony Barr. I uh, saw it a few years ago in Philly, as I've mentioned, when uh, Frank Gore agreed to terms with the Eagles and then within a couple hours did an about-face and didn't sign. So guys don't, uh, you know, you don't see a lot happen in that sense. But uh, before we wrap things up, talk a little bit about the Combine, who our winners and losers were. You know, every year you have guys that rise, you have guys that fall. And, and, and another, actually, a, a point I wanted to make real quick. 
I, this is something I mentioned last night before we got cut off and, and decided to move the show to tonight uh, and on the topic of the combine. The 40 times. Listen, the 40 times are fun. They're, they're, they're the most exciting event, even though it's just a dude running in a straight line. But because these guys are doing basically superhero stuff out there, these guys are running it to Mackay Becton. The dude ran a 5-1 at like, he weighs like, I don't know, a couple thousand pounds. Ran a 5-1. That's nuts. So people tune in and want, is Ruggs going to break the 40 record? He didn't. But we fall in love with the 40 times, especially when we're looking at receivers. And so I went and looked at some of the top receivers in the NFL last year to see where they, uh, the, the top receivers, to see what they ran on their, uh, at their combine, to see, you know, how many guys were in the four threes, how many guys were in the four fours. Is it, uh, you know, is it, and you kind of know that it's not a prerequisite because, you know, you have the stories of, of guys who run terrible 40s and still turn out to be good players. But there's there's still that question of you know is are the are the top guys just jam packed with elite speeds and the answer is no. Michael Thomas four five seven, Keenan Allen four seven one, Julio Jones four three nine so he's one of your elites. Cooper Cup four six two, Jawan Landry four seven seven. I mean these are these are not great forties folks. Godwin, Curtis Godwin, four four two. He was you know, he was a fast one. But there are plenty of guys, plenty of examples of guys in this league that, that don't run four fours. It's not a prerequisite. It's nice, it's fun. You know, eye popping forty times, all that stuff. But uh that brings me to one guy who uh who didn't he didn't run a good forty. Um but I and I honestly I, I seen the name a couple times during the, the the homework I've been doing on the draft, but didn't really watch him till the other day. Ohio State, Benjamin Vick, my goodness. This guy, I, I, it looks like he had some issues with drops at Ohio State, but Ohio State's one of those programs where they're so stacked that sometimes guys who would start at other programs don't see the field as much as they might elsewhere. Benjamin Victor, his ability, 6'4", 199. His ability to stop on a dime and cut and and let a guy whiff and then accelerate again and pick up more yards, I'll tell you what, man. Benjamin Victor, if, if he's a guy that's there in the round in, in the in the sixth round, seventh round, I, snatch that guy up. Absolutely, I'm not aware of any off field things, any any off field issues, injuries. Couldn't find anything significant. And man, he just the way he was able to. You know, to, to get in and out of his breaks and accelerate past guys after after making the miss, I just I just kept watching you know as many clips as I could of him, and I just came away so impressed. So I didn't have a great combine, but he's a guy that I really liked. But uh, the winners I mentioned, Becton. Of course, you had you had Dylan, the running back out of Boston College, who we've talked about quite a bit on this show uh, as a sixth or seventh rounder. I don't think he'll be there in the sixth or seventh round anymore because that dude ran a four four seven. He weighs 240. He ran a 4.47 with a 41-inch vertical. That's some explosive stuff right there. And AJ Dillon is, in my opinion, is no longer a sixth, seventh-round candidate. Chase Claypool, another one, just lit it up. Ran a 4.42. Uh, 
at 200, what was he, 235, 236, somewhere in there. The, the fastest time for a player in that weight range, only him and Megatron, only two players in the history of the combine to weigh in. I think they said the cut, I think at 235 plus, and to run a 4-4-2. On Isaiah Simmons, crazy. Superman. Now, he's the guy. At, uh, Joe Douglas fixed this O-line, signed, a, signed Conklin, Tooney, Glasgow, whatever, Peters, everybody. Get them all signed and draft this guy at 11. He ain't going to be there. I'm just having a little fun. Um, he, he, he's, gone. He's, he's, not a, he, he's gone on the top 10, probably gone on the top five. Uh, Alex Highsmith, an edge guy. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things. I spent so much time thinking about this team, talking about this damn team whether it's on the air, off the air. I can't remember how much I've talked about him on the air. But I do remember a few weeks ago messaging Alex and saying this guy is my favorite edge prospect, my favorite small school edge prospect, Alex Highsmith. And he had himself a really good combine, good all around. So I think he's, he's going to be a mid-round pick. Uh, some of the losers, you got uh, A.J. Epineza didn't look as expo- explosive as, as a lot of people said he would. Zach Moss is a running back, four six five. Uh, you know, not as, you know, having just said the forties aren't key. I feel like with running backs, especially a guy like Moss, who I think a lot of people expected to run faster. Trey Adams tackle out of Washington really liked that guy. I thought he was a mid round prospect. He had a, he had kind of a, a, a day, a day three type of day or a type of combine. But you look at a guy like, uh, what was it? Orlando Brown a couple of years ago out of Oklahoma had a historically bad combine and he has been a beast in the NFL. I'm not saying that Adams is on that level, but maybe you don't write a guy off after uh after a bad combine when his film says he's a, a pretty solid player. Uh LaVisca Cheneau, again, the forties aren't everything, but when you watch a guy and you expect a guy to run a really good forty, and I thought he would be, you know, at worst mid four fours. Um so four six one and you that that kind of jumps out at me. This isn't to say he won't be a good player. Um, I just think yeah, I, I came away thinking, man, I thought he looked a lot faster than that on film. Uh, turns out not the case. You know, look, maybe he goes to a pro day and, and blows it out of the water. Maybe it was just a bad day for him. And uh, lastly, I'm going to go with uh, tight end Mitchell Wilcox because that dude nearly got killed uh, at a USF with a, during, the, uh, during one of the drills. Got, I think he got smacked in the right side of his face with a pass. Uh, he looked the wrong way. It was supposed to run straight down the line, head on a swivel, catching passes from both directions. And he looked left, and the ball came from the right and whacked him right in the face. Uh, not a good day for him. But that, that pretty much wraps things up for us tonight. Joe had some family uh, – or just, sorry, Alex had some family stuff to tend to. And um, Joe Tooney, Jack Conklin, Byron Jones, we know the names. We don't know where they're going to sign. And uh, we're going to find out in the next few days. Thank you so much for tuning in. We appreciate it, as always. And uh, Alex will be back with me next week. And hopefully, you know, some, uh, some progress on the, the Robbie Anderson front. And hopefully the Jets, you know, get themselves in position here for, uh, for a draft. You know, Jordan Jenkins is a guy we haven't talked about a lot. And I think, honestly, a lot of us feel like he's, he's gone, you know, as much as it would be nice to, to retain a guy like him to, again, fill one, let, have one less hole to fill through the draft. Alex and I have talked about him quite a bit, but I think we've kind of come to the conclusion that he is going to depart. So we'll see how it goes. 
But this time next week, we will catch up. Uh, we'll have any updates for you. Thank you so much for tuning in, Jets fans. And uh, be sure to catch us next week. Have a great evening. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Jet Nation Radio. Glenn is at AceFan23. And Alex is at NYJetsLife24. Until next time, go Jets.